Okay, hello everybody. Thank you for joining the webinar today. It's great to have so many people joining us this morning for the Going Circular, Rethinking Plastics in Your Business webinar. Uh, my name's Owen Hogan. I'm from the Faculty of Business Law and Arts here at Southern Cross University, and I'm your host for today. Uh, I teach in entrepreneurship innovation programs here at Southern Cross. Uh, I'm a member of the Zero Waste Research Cluster. Uh, one of my primary research focuses is on plastics innovation and circularity. Generally, we work with industry partners to find ways to make more efficient use of resources and reduce waste. Uh, in the spirit of reconciliation, uh, Southern Cross University acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples here today. As I said, thanks for joining. It's great to have you part of this discussion. I think having so many people with us and interested in this um, topic is evidence of the commitment of individuals and organisations across industries, across communities to address this pressing issue of resource usage and waste and particularly around plastics and working towards becoming more sustainable and having a more circular economy, which we're going to talk more about if you don't understand these concepts as well. This event is part of a series of initiatives about circular economy and plastics, uh, supported by our Sustainability Partnerships Grant from the New South Wales Environment Protection Authority. Uh, Southern Cross University has been working on circular economy development and plastics reduction projects through a number of initiatives, um, particularly one called the Recirculator Program, and, and through lots of other projects in our zero waste research cluster. And if you want to know more about uh, the Zero Waste Research Cluster, you can actually visit our university website. If you type in SCU Zero Waste, um, you can learn about some of those projects that myself and other colleagues have been involved in as well. Uh, this particular project, uh, Going Circular, is from our Live Ideas program at Southern Cross University. It's a series of projects and resources with a shared purpose of innovation. We were trying to connect industry, community, researchers and students to create impactful change. Essentially, we're just working together to address grand challenges. Um, where we encounter problems, we're looking for opportunities. The, the webinar is going to run for about an hour and 15 minutes. We're going to hear from uh, four wonderful panellists for around about 40 to 50 minutes and followed by a 10-minute Q&A. Um, before I get to panel introductions, I just wanted to give a brief background uh, about why plastic and why we're discussing circularity here today. Look, plastic is an amazing resource. It's flexible, it's adaptable, it's lightweight, and it's cheap. We all know this. It's helped to advance society across many, many areas. Think about food security, transportation, IT, clothing, medicine. Um, think about how many plastic products and packaging we use every day. It's basically embedded everywhere. There's also a significant challenge that comes with our love affair with plastic. It's mostly made from fossil fuels. And once we're finished with it, we generally throw it away. It goes into landfill and it breaks down and it harms the environment. It goes into landfill, as I said, leaks into waterways, oceans, soil, and toxins from plastics and microplastics are being found everywhere. And we're now beginning to understand the harmful effects that this is having on the environment and us. Plastic products and packaging can be very complex combinations of chemical structures. This makes some plastics very challenging to recover, reuse and recycle. And we only recycle around about 10% of our plastics in Australia anyway. There's been some really amazing developments in new plastic products and packaging, um, compostable, recyclable, bio-based adaptions, packaging made from recyclable plastic and, and all that, and that's been fantastic. But we just simply need to do more and we need to keep progressing towards much higher levels of circularity. So we've got to try to move away from our linear economic model. That's the economic model of taking resources, making something with it, and then throwing it away. How do we keep resources into circulation? 
Uh, how can we keep reusing resources, reprocessing, recycling, maybe even avoiding some resources altogether, some plastics altogether? But we definitely want to move away from landfill and energy recovery as options. These are our last options. Okay. Scene is set. Um, I want to introduce just uh, one by one the speakers and then we'll get to some questions. Uh, we're joined today by Lisa McLean, who's the CEO of Circular Australia. Um, Circular Australia is a not-for-profit organisation that works across private, public and not-for-profit sector to drive a transition to the circular, circular economy. She's, Lisa's been instrumental in bringing together government agencies, researchers, not-for-profits, financial investment institutions, businesses big and small to drive outcomes. So thanks for joining us, Lisa. We also have Mitchell Jones, Senior Project Officer of Partnerships from the New South Wales Environment Protection Authority. It's really great to have Mitchell uh, and someone from the EPA joining us today. The EPA are a critical organisation to achieving circularity in Australia. Their regulatory work goes well beyond compliance and crosses into that collaborative domain to maintain a healthy and thriving environment. And that last little bit of that sentence I stole from their website, which is actually their vision to maintain a healthy and thriving environment. So you can see the sort of work that they're committed to here. Uh, we're also joined by, thank you, Mitch. We're also joined by Luke McConnell, who's the Managing Director of Revolve Your World. We're going to hear a, a bit about their, their work and the amazing work that they're doing in the community. Luke's long been involved in circularity initiatives at the community and local government level, including large, well-known music festivals and events. Uh, Luke and his team have been working with the Norfolk Island local government, which we're going to hear about to achieve some amazing results. Uh, thank you, Luke. And we have Bronwyn Voice, who's the founder of Civic Futures Lab. You've heard me already talk about Bronwyn so far. Um, she was also involved in the Great Plastic Rescue, which I'm hoping she's going to tell us a little bit about. But Bronwyn works the same, a bit like Lisa, working across governments with ASX listed corps and uh, small medium enterprises to accelerate their transition to net zero. All various strategies and approaches around that as well through strategy development, policy design and circular program delivery. So thank you, Bronwyn, for joining us today. Okay, without much further ado, we're going to get on to talking individually with each of the panellists. Uh, Lisa, I'm going to start with you. Thanks very much for joining us today. I'm going to hit you with the big, the big broad question. Um, how can transforming to a circular economy benefit not only environment, but industry and businesses and communities and ultimately our economy. Well, thanks, Owen, for that big one. And I'm, I'm, because I'm a circular economy nerd, I'm going to jump into it in a sec. I just want to say congratulations to Southern Cross Uni for focusing on circular economy and making this practical for businesses and others to um, understand what circular economy is. I'm coming from the lands of the Wallamadigal people in the, of the Eora Nation in Sydney and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. And I also want to really specifically say that we have a lot to thank our First Nations uh, peoples for their um, for being the practitioners and advocates of circular economy over millennia, and we've got a lot to learn from them, and that's something that Circular Australia is really committed to. So how can transforming a circular economy benefit, you know, the environment and industry and jobs? Well, it's going to benefit everything. It's a huge economic opportunity for Australia. It's been estimated to be between one up, up around $2 trillion uh, economic opportunity uh, with the ability to generate lots of jobs and to really importantly tackle these big gnarly crises that we face and today we're doing a bit of a focus on plastics but I'm going to step back a little bit and talk about the fact that we need to cut carbon of course we do but we need to do a lot of other things as well we're running out of natural resources we can't continue to consume the way we consume at the moment and at the moment we're throwing away 90% of the things that we make we either landfill them, we we burn them, or we can't access their values. So machinery and buildings, you know, the value is just locked away. And it's much easier to go and get a new thing uh, rather than repair something else or have something designed to last in our economy longer. So this model that we're all really uncomfortable with, we, we love the benefits of, we love getting new shiny things. But at the end of the day, there's this huge 
um, unsustainable waste stream and it is unsustainable. And don't think that uh, someone's looking after that waste because they're not. At the moment, we're in a situation where if we keep continuing to consume the way we do, we will burn up our earth. And you hear these analogies all the time that, you know, how much we waste. But in Australia, we're really bad. We have very poor uh, materials efficiencies and we would need four planets to survive if everyone consumed the way we do. So we need to change this economic model. It doesn't mean to say we can't create jobs, we can't grow new industries and enjoy um, the pleasures that we've had and the security that we've had. What we need to do is change the business model. So we need to be uh, decoupling economic growth from the consumption of finite resources. And we do that in three ways with a circular economy. One, design out waste and pollution. We'll dive into some examples later. Two, keep materials in the economy at their highest value for as long as possible. And that means if it's a plastic bottle now, it should go back to being a plastic bottle or something even more valuable. So this is really important principle. And the final principle of circular economy is to regenerate natural systems. So we need this economic framework. It's actually the only economic framework we have, Owen, to transition global economies in that carbon and resource constrained future. And I'll just talk about a little bit of the benefits. So if we're keeping those materials, 90% of the things we make everyone, if we can keep them in that economy, design those uh, products to last so that they can be broken down at end of life and we can extract value. There's now more gold and silver in a ton of iPhones than a ton of ore from a gold or silver mine. So more in a ton of iPhones and a a ton of ore from a gold or silver mine. So we've got these resources. We just need the systems and the infrastructure to recycle them and the awareness too to see how your business can participate. And if we just look quickly at plastics, you know, a circular economy is going to have huge benefits, not just because uh, it's going to cut carbon. Half of all the emissions we need to cut are embodied and embedded in products and food the way we use and dispose of them. So even if we race to this renewable energy transition, which we will, and hit those, uh, cut up, cut all those carbons from that energy transition, carbon emissions, that's only half of them. The other half is embodied in food and products. So we're going to need to use and embrace circular economy to reduce the carbon there. So it's circular economy is critical to getting to net zero. It's also critical for protecting natural biodiversity. If we can get pollutants out of the national natural environment, if we can uh, take less resources out of the environment, then we're going to be able to uh, improve amenity and improve biodiversity. And for plastics, it's it's a big one, right? And we we talked about this before the before the webinar this morning. You know, it, the cost plastics are useful and versatile materials. Of course, we need them, but they're also wasting and polluting. And it's it's about eighty to one hundred billion US dollars, which is about one hundred and twenty and one hundred eighty Australian US dollars worth of plastic is just thrown away every year. And 90 billion tonnes of primary materials are extracted and used globally to make that plastic. And yet we've only got this small around 9% recycling uh, waste. So, And there's also major you know, economic and social and health impacts that come, as you've alluded to, um, Owen. So a circular economy is not a means to an end like carbon reduction. It's a new economic framework that can help your businesses grow while also delivering all those benefits. So it sounds pretty good to me, Owen. Absolutely. Thanks, Lisa. And thanks for explaining the concept a little bit more and then outlining some of the benefits as well. I, I think the benefits are enormous, to, to be honest. And, and through your work at Circular Australia, can you share with us some of the initiatives that Australian businesses, or even overseas for that matter, are undertaking to become more circular when it comes to plastics and other initiatives as well? Yeah, sure. So the first step, of course, is to understand what is circular economy and how do I apply this framework to my business model? And the framework is about embracing this hierarchy of refusing. So what can I use less of in my business model? If I'm manufacturing, if I'm producing, if I have a product, how can I get revenue out of it by not just selling it over and over again, knowing that we will have regulations soon, product responsibility and extended product um, responsibilities for people. So companies that are selling a thing, they'll be responsible for where it goes at end of life. 
So some of the businesses that are really thriving in this uh, and leading the circular economy transition are as a service model. So you'd know about lighting as a service, the big developments, they hire a company to get lighting as a service and they get they know they're going to get lighting, they're not buying light bulbs. And that means that the business providing those light bulbs as a service can really focus on the extending the life of the light bulb, making sure it's quality, making sure that it's repairable, and at end of life, it can be recycled. So lighting as a service is very successful. We're now going to start to see very cutting edge in the building environment, building facades as a service. Uh, so that it's a facade that can be built with sustainable materials and at the end of its life, which may be 30 years or 40 years, it can be broken down and reused. Fashion as a service is a multi-billion dollar industry uh, globally and that's starting in Australia where a garment, instead of being sold once for $200 or up to even more, uh, can be rented out uh, over and over again and it's very lucrative for business owners. It reduces the price point for the consumer and it also means that there's this responsibility for the product and create new jobs in re that repair economy. So the repair piece is really important in terms of embracing a circular economy. Uh, how can we reuse things? And you'd be interested to know that uh, at the very bottom of that circular economy hierarchy is actually recycling and recovery. They're the very last phases. We've got all this stuff up before that we can do by reducing resources, keeping those materials going round and round and repairing them, remanufacturing them into something else. And to do that, we're going to need infrastructure, which Australia doesn't have yet, but we've got the Modern Manufacturing Fund. We've also got the National Reconstruction Fund with $15 billion. So, you know, those listening today in your region, there's opportunities to build infrastructure for remanufacturing and manufacturing in Australia, which is exciting. And that's going to have that fund has got circular economy principles behind it. So the as-a-service models are very successful. We're also seeing organic waste back into fertiliser. There's nothing more successful than putting organic waste down. We've done a lot of evidence on this actually working with the New South Wales EPA. We have a website called Circular Ag, which is worth looking at. You'll see the evidence base in terms of productivity of using organic fertiliser instead of chemicals. Um, the organics just work. You don't need to measure the acidity of the soil. You just get it down there and away it goes. So lots of evidence there on the kill rate of plants, massively reducing using organic foods and the productivity of grains and other things increasing. The repair economy is enormous and I don't think we can underestimate um, how important that is. How do we start repairing things? And we're going to need to do that um, with with um, the batteries and electric vehicles coming into our economy. It's a whole new approach to mechanics. Um, so there's lots of examples there. Precincts, how can precincts businesses come together to share energy and water? Can one waste of one business be a resource for another industry? We're seeing that with the special activation precincts in New South Wales. So there's lots of opportunities here remembering, Owen, that we are at the beginning of our journey here. So there's actually a big opportunity for all of you out there to think about how can you apply circular economy to business and corner that market for your for your current local economy. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. And, and thank you for mentioning and talking about product as a service as a, as a way forward and that recycling actually sits quite a way down in terms of our options for circularity um, before avoiding the use altogether through to reusing, repairing, remanufacturing. Uh, I think that's really important that we don't jump straight into the recycle stage uh, before exploring other options. Um, this all sounds absolutely amazing, but surely it's challenging. I mean, are there significant gaps to achieving plastic circularity in Australia? What, what do we need to do to start to address these challenges? There absolutely are. And I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of um, regulation and investment that's coming around to circularity. So just to update uh, everybody, the federal government is working to develop a circular economy framework. Um, it's led by the Minister for Environment, Tanya Plibersek, but she's been involving a number of cabinet ministers. She has an advisory group, which I'm also on, uh, and that group is assisting in the framework. All the states and territories across Australia have signed up to a circular economy for 2030. 
Uh, so we're going to start to see a lot more leadership and a lot more coordination in terms of how we can tackle these issues. And that's been a big gap. That's been our first gap, Owen. We haven't had a framework. We haven't had a recognition of circular economy and the importance of it for business in Australia. So, and then the other thing I just want to say is we absolutely must recognise that we we cannot recycle our way out of the plastic crisis. We can't recycle our way out of um, our waste crisis either. So we need to look at this problem in a different way. And instead of trying to work out how to deal with a pile of waste, we really need to stop that waste from being created in the first place. And to do that in Australia, you know, we need to know what's, we need transparency and knowledge, what's actually in plastics and products, what are the good plastics, what are the plastics that we can't have in our economy and the chemicals that might be in plastics and other things that we can't have in our economy. You know, how do we actually get those out? And Australia's been lagging in its adoption of many um, international um, uh, plastics of concern and, and chemicals of concern um, obligations. So we've really got to start to uh, sign up to that and move forward. And that's going to be a federal government initiative. And we're seeing that moving slowly, which will be important. Otherwise, we're going to be a dumping ground for these plastics that we don't even know what they are. We don't know what they're in. And Europe's starting to define this and other more sophisticated circular economies. So we're going to need to have that knowledge and transparency and the digital product passport regulations are important here. I'd encourage you all to look that up. Um, and um, Circular Australia has a member-based um, industry task force, which actually Bronwyn runs, so there's an opportunity to join if you want to know more about that. But that's really important is to understand what's on the label. Like we went through that with foods, what's the nutritional things in a food and what's not. We need to do that with products and plastics. Then the banning that I've talked about, we need to do that. We then need to be looking at infrastructure and we're seeing some leadership from uh, companies like Coca-Cola, Woolworths, Pat and others, Coles, who are really, um, despite the collapse of Red Cycle, which was the a single-use plastics initiative, we are starting to see infrastructure come online and we're going to need that, Owen, if we're going to actually um, at, you know, achieve a circular economy. So that's a barrier at the moment, but we will see that $15 billion I talked to you about with the um, National Reconstruction Fund will be pivotal in tackling that. As I said, circular economy is a, a criteria there. And we're also got to do it in the renewable energy transition. So part of the work the minister's been doing that I've been involved with is getting uh, Chris Bowen and the, the energy transition to be thinking about how do we recycle the solar panels and the wind farm components, which are filling up our landfills. They're so enormous and they're hard to tra transport. So how do we start to build local economies around renewable energy, but making sure that we can extract the silicon and the silver and the glass out of those uh, those um, products, and that requires the infrastructure as well. So I think they'd be the, and with the Coca-Cola one on plastic, sorry, I'll just finish that. They're looking at bespoke infrastructure to take that bottle. It will require interaction with all of us to get the bottle back into a recycling hub, return and earn and other things, so that it can come back as a bottle. And we will see Woolworths starting to do the same thing with soft plastics and reusing it. So that closed loop. Our piece requires infrastructure um, and, um, you know, we hopefully we'll start to see a whole lot of other opportunities opening up in the regions around that. Thanks very much, Lisa. And uh, it's it's amazing to uh, see that there are uh, initiatives going on and but that we recognise it's very, very challenging and that we're kind of at early stages in a lot of this compared to other countries or even not even to bother compared to other countries, just to ourselves as well. And um, I just wanted to finally ask you, uh, considering we've got a complex, uh, massive challenge ahead of us, a, a problem as such, there must be opportunities. Surely there's some specific commercial opportunities that early adopters of the circular economy uh, can leverage um, perhaps in the area of plastics or mixed waste uh, options or different products? What do you think there might be available for people thinking in this space? Absolutely. Well, I think it comes back to those principles that I talked about before. So in a new plastic circular economy, plastics can never be a waste or pollution. It's got to stay in the economy in a closed loop system. It has to be valued in the same way that we would value gold or silver. 
Uh, and um, so we need actions, the actions that are required to keep that happening is the elimination of those problematic and unnecessary plastics. And, and then we start to look at the innovation of what can we do with the plastics? How can we re reuse them, recycle them or compost them? Um, and this will be an interesting one for, for the EPA to talk about because, you know, we can ban plastics, but we can't replace them with other things because we might be creating other pro unforeseen problems. So our best approach is to really um, look at how we can uh, eliminate the toxic components in it and how can we actually start to get them going round and around. So I think that the early, early adopters in that practices need to be looking at um, if you're in this business, if you have products, understand what products you have, what, what is the plastic components in it, um, is it recyclable, where is an end market for that? And that's the other thing that the federal and state governments have signed up to as part of their 2030 target is to build markets. We need markets for circularity and the plastics market will be really important in doing this. So I think that, um, you know, the, and I've talked about these reuse models. Uh, they're really, um, in the past, around plastics, it's obviously has been not considered economically viable. We can't have that view. That's a thing of the past. We need to be harnessing plastic as a valuable resource and we need to be looking at how we can work with others to build infrastructure and build solutions or as a service models that can maximise the length uh, the the um, that product staying in the economy. And I will say that this is not one business can do this on their own. These are big systems transitions. And I'm imagining you're all sitting there thinking, well, how can I build infrastructure or what's my role in that? But by getting together, talking to other businesses, looking at your supply chain and talking to your suppliers and end users, you'll be able to get a sense of where you can play in this, what actions and activities and opportunities and innovations you can participate in, if you, particularly if, you, if plastic is a big part of your business. Um, and we know now that this is definitely an industry of the future. So it's definitely an opportunity, um, an economic opportunity for businesses to be thinking about what are those products, future products and services and how can I play a responsible way with the plastic that I do have in my business. So we need to eliminate, but we also need to understand their reuse and recycle and as a service models as well. So that would be my thoughts, Owen. Thank you so much, Lisa. Really appreciate your insights and expertise into, into this area. I'm going to uh, pose some questions for Mitchell now from the New South Wales Environment Protection Authority. Thanks so much, uh, Mitchell, for being on this call with us. The EPA has been quite instrumental uh, in terms of educating um, and, and obviously running the compliance, but, uh, but sort of directing policy in this space. Um, we talked a lot um, the other day about collaborative approaches. What are the various approaches the New South Wales EPA are utilising to promote circularity and improve outcomes for the environment in relation to plastics? Sure. Also, um, thanks, Owen, for the invite today. I'm very excited to kind of come and chat about my passion project, plastics. Um, so where I sit in the EPA, we definitely try and take a much more kind of collaborative and involved um, response to regulation. Our partnerships team, we kind of exist because the EPA recognises that compliance and enforcement, while absolutely critical tools to regulation, they're not the sole levers that we have to kind of flex. And so we take on these roles around kind of listening, empowering, educating as some of those other tools that we can kind of use to kind of nudge people and encourage people to act in certain ways and thinking about issues differently. Um, so like one of my examples for that is around 2022, we, we did partner with 17 organisations um, to kind of spread awareness around those incoming single-use plastic bans and kind of help spread awareness and also change behaviours of those communities that we're partnering with. So like, we're in a better position to respond to those bans when they came in. So of those organisations, Southern Cross was one of those, and you've done a really great job in, say, these business-focused resources. Another was Bronwyn and Great Plastic Rescues so without stealing her thunder. Um, you know, we were working with them around how businesses could offload those soon-to-be 
banned plastics and, and give them a meaningful second life rather than sending to to landfill. So we can kind of see how like we try to kind of connect with people and build those networks to kind of have those effective responses. Our idea around this was kind of if communities can begin to adapt in ways that are kind of simple, effective and relevant and meaningful to them, when that regulation comes in at a later date, the impact hopefully should be minor or negligible. So, you know, we're kind of a few steps ahead of that regulation, that policy change coming in down the track. And by kind of working with those organisations, we can then bring in those learnings, those insights and kind of help form better responses to, to policy. Um, one of my other examples is like we're kind of working with um, the emergency department peak body at the moment um, on a whole range of things, but they're doing kind of a research deep dive with us around kind of their ongoing issues with single-use plastic within emergency departments. Um, the EPA totally recognises the plastics have a fundamental crucial role in emergency departments, so we're not really going gung-ho into that, that sector, but how they're responding to it because a lot of them recognise the harm that those materials are also doing um, after their life within those departments and also looking at kind of, you know, that future climate risk and future um, threat that ongoing natural disasters place on, on those emergency departments. And so for us, if we can get those learnings and insights from that sector, if we need to kind of look at policy and regulation in the future, we know that those responses will be informed and kind of um, collaborated with the emergency department sector as well, because we've, we've worked really hard previously to get those learnings and, and find out what, what works for them. And so what's really good for us is that we're starting to see now is that a lot of our partners and stuff have become really strong advocates for change um, when they were quite apprehensive and uh, weary of the the, the, the plastic bans originally. They're now really strong advocates. And so, you know, our most recent consultation on the plastic bans closed last week, but a lot of them started filling out the surveys and, and providing submissions and started pushing us to go further in the future, which is, from my perspective, painful, but a really, really great <laughs> outcome for them. And so they're starting to push us from everything from, like, single-use coffee cups, yeah. little soy sauce fish, um, even through to the shrink wraps around vinyl coverings. That They're now starting to advocate and push us to kind of go into that space. So you can kind of see how those collaborative responses are really powerful in, in coming through to regulation later. Yeah, you can see that this collaborative approach is uh, is having those more longer term benefits. Absolutely, and it's great to hear a, an insight into the philosophy of the EPA as well. Um, that a lot of people wouldn't um, necessarily understand your approach as well. Can you share some more specific examples, um, particularly around these sustainability grants that you've come across that have been super encouraging? that uh, businesses and organisations have taken up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Bronwyn and Great Plastic Rescue was a really, really great place to start for us. We, um, With that policy and those single-use bans coming into place, we kind of recognised that businesses didn't have an outlet to kind of dump their stock and get rid of them. Um, that wasn't just sending them to landfill. So we did a really great job, and Bronwyn led that around giving them an outlet. So I think we got, you know, 37 tonnes, I think it was, collected during the lifespan of, like, that six-month period that we worked with Bronwyn. Bronwyn, I think, extended that up to about 60 tonnage, uh, 60 tonnes afterwards. And so that's a really great story around just giving businesses that outlet. Um, we've done great work with the University of Wollongong, for example, just to name drop another university, sorry. But we work with their food court around... Um, how they could kind of reduce their reliance on single-use plastics. So for them, a lot of students are coming to the food court, grabbing a lunch, grabbing dinner, um, walking five metres back to a table and eating it, and that is being served in a single-use plastic um, container. And so how do we get the tenants on board around engaging in a crockery scheme and a rewashable scheme? And so that was a big behaviour change um, campaign that we ran on campus with the UAW, and they've started to see those kind of actions translate into meaningful change. So I think in their 12-month period, it was 22,000 uh, single-use plastic containers were diverted from landfill just by a really simple action of using a plate and cutlery. Um, we've got Southern Cross is doing it as well today about creating a suite of educational modules for businesses so they can engage in their own time and understand what options are available to them. Um, and so they they can use those tools to look through their value change and look through their operations and models and, and, and understand those really tangible and simple actions that they can start to take that progress with. Um, another one for us was really quickly, Green Music Australia was a really interesting one. They're kind of a, a body that looks at sustainability within the music and venue sector. Um, so they ran a green action program. It was like a six-week, really intensive boot camp course 
where they could look at everything from single-use plastic. They did energy audits. They had a look at their um, catering chains, their alcohol chains, and started looking at all of those to see where they could take improvements in. And so we got them kind of looking at everything from uh, redoing their seals on their big energy, um, their big freezers and fridges. Um, they looked at pre-ordering meals. They would have less food waste that they'll be generating for their venues. Um, what would What's the impact of putting solar power on top of their venue if they wanted to? How can they phase out single-use plastics across um, their venues and stuff? And so that was really interesting. Like we had Oxford Art Factory in Sydney, the EDM conference, Universal Music as like a production company all coming on board and starting to look at that. And so Green Music will now work with them for about the next two to three years around how they can kind of keep tracking that progress. And I think those are really interesting stories. And we now have a bit of a report on our website that kind of goes through those stories and, and hopefully is a bit of a learning tool for others to kind of start thinking about that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's it's great to see how many organisations are really um, coming voluntarily uh, to, to circularity um, because they understand the need for it. And that's what this webinar is all about, is to promote that um, awareness and need out further out. Just a final question for you, Mitchell, is, is around... Um, obviously, this does require policy and legislation, and we've got a, a rollout of um, plastic bans. Is, is there any future uh, consideration from the government around environmental issues to promote circular economy practices? And, and then, I guess, harking back to something Lisa said, is there a bit of, does there any, how does it avoid the conflict um, and policy conflicts that might sometimes occur in this space? Yeah. Um... Looking at the policy from a plastic perspective, um, you know, across 2022, most of you hopefully will be aware that we did kind of launch the first two phase outs of single use plastics. So that looked at yeah. single use uh, plastic bags, but then went into straws, cutlery, stirrers, uh, bowls and plates, and those kind of things. And they as well all phased out across New South Wales. Um, you start to see those similar things happen in other states as well. Um, at the moment, um, we did just close our second consultation round around what the next steps and next round of kind of plastic bans and changes might be. So unfortunately, the timing of this webinar isn't great, but those closed on the weekend. Um, but we did get 5,000 kind of submissions um, from the public and from organisations. So that was a really strong and healthy response for us. And we just put a lot of ideas out there going, this is what we're thinking. Um, and it has, you know, bans and phase-outs, but we're also starting to get into the um, space of um, better product stewardship schemes and having those in place, but also um, mandating design standards on certain products as well that might result in less litter and less plastic entering the waterways, for example. And so we put ideas around out around balloon releases, um, having tethered uh, bottle caps onto PET bottles, onto Coke and whatnot bottles, um, but also looking at banning single-use cups and, and those kind of things as well. Um, I think produce produce barrier bag with the supermarker on that list as well, bread tags, all kind of things that we're starting to kind of start to ramp up that that response. And so, you know, we'll analyze all the feedback that came in from those surveys, all five thousand, and um, we'll come out with another consultation paper and go. This is the framework that we're looking to put out there, and this is what we're looking to regulate, and go for another round of consultation. Hopefully, that'll probably be towards the end of the year now. Um, so that's definitely the main the main step for us. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and what an amazing response. To consultation paper, that'll that'll be a challenge to uh, to collate all that information as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much, Mitchell, uh, for sharing your insights from an EPA perspective. I'm going to move now to Luke. Thanks, uh, Luke, uh, so much for joining us. As I mentioned in the introductions, Luke um, is, has an organisation called Revolve Your World, and and Luke, just to start off, can you share briefly share the story of Revolve Your World as a as a, as a waste solution um, and maybe just some of the uh, challenges and milestones, uh, challenges along the way and the milestones you've achieved as well. Yeah, um, thank you so much for the invite and the opportunity to speak here. Um, yeah, Revolve Your World is, it's, we're a waste stream processing company. So it's um, a startup, but we've been around for quite a long time in different places. Um, we're a startup in the remote community field. Um, we, I started the business concept back in around 2008, working in large-scale music events um, internationally and, and um, around Australia. Um, essentially, we developed a system for waste separation at source, so within the event itself, and um, started processing waste at the events, 
um, and getting high separation um, results, but then finding on the back end, it was really difficult to get a lot of material recycled, especially in the late 2010s, you know, that era. Um, so we started working with the events to develop auditing strategies on the front end to um, just bring in material that we could recycle, you know, develop composting systems locally, um, effectively, yeah, effectively starting sort of localized circular economy in a way with those, with that. And um, in, um, in two, so we, yeah, we were processing waste up to 35,000 people, up to 50,000 people at a couple of events. So it was pretty extreme to watch um, that amount of people come into an event and then get the job done and then see separated streams on the back end. But my core passion is, is with community and, um, and social sort of um, work. So I started looking at ways of developing into, I grew up in Byron Bay, in Byron Shire and um, working through ways of doing more work at home. Um, in 2016, we were offered an opportunity um, with the Beach Hotel in Byron Bay CBD um came through the epa and then kim potter and and um, northeast waste at the time and we straight away we um so from the events uh, uh, the the sorting happened on a, on, a, on a sorting bench essentially we we now developed that into a system called the recycle pod um and we set up a recycle pod in in the byron bay cbd and started processing waste streams underneath the beach hotel to see if it would work the same. Um, we developed um, supply chain working with local council, Byron Shire Council, and also with Richmond Waste to um, process food waste lo um, locally. Um, and we were eliminating single-use plastics as a key strategy um, to bring recycling rate up. So we ended up with a 90% average recycling rate over, the, over those years. Um, and then in 2021, we were approached by Norfolk Island. Um, Norfolk Island had a problem, serious problems with ocean dumping, um, off of Clifford Headstone and more recently the cost of export to landfill in, in Southeast Queensland. So they end up air freighting, um, a lot of their, the majority of their waste off because of the, um, the government ban into the Marine park on Norfolk Island. Um, we're able to start our, uh, we started, we had to, so up until 2021, we were really just running this recycle pot and just sorting material, but with Norfolk Island, we had to start figuring out a way of processing, uh, material on Island to reduce the cost, um, and bring the recycling rate up. So we developed a, a plastics processing system, um, glass processing system, turn glass into sand, the plastics processing we're using, uh, developing a concrete aggregate in partnership with CRDC Global, um, a product called Resonate, um, and other 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 tech to process up to we at, at the moment we've got a recycling rate of seventy five percent on the island. Um, the majority of that's processed on our island, um, and then by the end of this year, we're hoping to achieve the national target of eighty percent, which will be um, a real milestone for a remote community of Norfolk Island. It's been a really amazing opportunity to solve such a key national and global issue and one of the most remote communities in the world. Um, challenges so far, um, well, up until, you know, we, start, we started processing our own material locally, uh, it's finding markets to recycle food waste and plastics and glass. So that's the problems that businesses everywhere are finding, you know, it's just finding those localized processes. So um, that's kind of the reason we started processing ourselves so we could just answer the problem. And um, the other big ticket item for us was being able to compete with the cost of landfill. Um, so uh, waste typically goes to landfill because it's um, it's following the path of the, of the lowest cost and uh, waste stream contamination um, at source, so with businesses and households, is is the cause of landfill, um, and it, uh, yeah, it's it's competing with the cost of landfill that has been the problem with us to, to get sort of moving um, to where we are now. But 
having the opportunity on Norfolk to showcase what we do has been a is it's been a real opportunity for us. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's great to understand that the economics around some of our approach has is really around cost, and it's compete landfill is competing with other um, approaches as well. And yeah. and what sort of um, when when you go into the community, particularly in the Norfolk Island, which has been a, a pretty incredible transformation, I must say. What what's what's what do you find most effective when you start working with businesses and communities to try and implement new solutions around waste management and recycling? Yeah, um, our key focus is on food waste decontamination. So, and it's separation of food waste from everything else because uh, food waste contamination is food waste with anything else in it, a polymer or a glass or, um, and then, contamination for the rest of the waste stream is when you have food waste or organic matter on it so our core focus is that separation so if businesses really want to make a difference it's really separating food waste at the, at, at the source makes it so much easier for the supply chain down the end so all of our sorting and reporting processes are focused on this um, to keep all the waste streams clean which then allows for efficient recycling and processing um yeah, we we with the recycler we've we've developed a data management system where we have a camera, and we're able to report back to the businesses to help educate them and and you know give them images of their waste streams if there's there is contamination and it, it helps the the um the business to the business managers to understand where the contamination is coming from. So we're able to offer it's sort of a lower cost to the community because if the if the waste streams are decontaminated, um. And this develops community engagement and responsibility at the business level and on Norfolk Island also with the local residents. So having that processing system locally and then able to walk into the facility and see it all getting done, um, it's just developing kind of like, yeah, a vibe or a culture around um, waste management and responsibility and also with the the um, the, the waste streams getting processed on island in yeah. parts. Yeah, it's great to hear the, the the practical actions that that businesses kind of start where to start this process, and they really need organisations like Revolve Your World that come in and work across businesses and communities. Uh, I know you're passionate about um, working with regional areas and, and particular remote areas. How do you see what you're doing now? Um, perhaps scaled up or, or even just transferred over to and commercialised or implemented in other regions as well? Yeah, a scalable model, that's the main thing. So we're really utilising Norfolk as a pilot example of how it can be done, you know. Um, so developing um, products locally so the community can feel the value and, and um, developing um Things like concrete aggregate and and, and sand and and um, and compost, so the and and making those systems scalable, so we can sort of just model model that. That's probably been our, our key focus. Um, I think the localized ownership of waste um, conversation is is really key. It's it's an incentive to bring us the the those clean waste streams and decontaminated and and also creates that education ownership and that localized responsibility um on the back end you, all this um creates localized you know these localized facilities and reduces carbon emissions associated with transport develop circular economy and and creates that localized ownership, ownership responsibility and ownership and um that's kind of what we do it's just it's a lot of education but then it's education mixed with processing so it's, it's, it's pretty interesting yeah fantastic thanks so much luke really appreciate your um your insights into that and hearing about the norfolk island project and um it's something that uh, i believe could be quite easily transferred over into other communities as you grow your organization and, um, and help those communities and and build those local infrastructures as you mentioned which is one of the key barriers to um to achieving circularity as, as mentioned earlier as well thanks for your time luke we have a final speaker we have bronwyn with us today he's also going to stay on and talk about the resource that we've developed bronwyn thank you so much for um joining us today as well 
Uh, I'm going to jump in with a sort of a question um, that business and community groups and even individuals might be asking, um, where, do, where do they start? And what sort of practical steps? Luke's mentioned a few practical steps from your perspective, where, how do they initiate a meaningful change within their own operations? Thank you so much, Owen. And yeah, it's really super to be here. I have been trying to answer a few questions in the chats as well. So I hope that's helpful. Um, and look, I, and I'm probably also going to maybe just touch on some of the things, you know, everybody's sort of spoken about, um, including Lisa. Uh, the, the first and foremost, uh, particularly around plastics, but just broadly, is that piece around understanding what you don't actually need and how you can eliminate it. And that sounds, I know, sort of simplistic in the way that I'm saying it uh, and I know it's more complex than that for example one of the conversations was about uh, one of the, the questions was about um, EPS and polystyrene and you know appliance packaging for example um, you know it's 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 challenging we're talking about systems change um, and we're talking about you know major infrastructure required to sort of support that but I think the very first, uh, you know, and foremost is thinking about, you know, doing a bit of an audit and going, well, what is it like sitting around, you know, looking looking across your operations, uh, what you use or consume in your organisation, as well as what you're putting out to market, really understanding what those materials are and where they end up. So doing a bit of an audit and doing a bit of a, even if it's just on, the, on a whiteboard, you know, mapping the flow of, okay, once I sell that fridge uh, to that customer, what happens with the packaging, what happens with the, the product uh, and where, where is it really likely to end up given what everything we know about some of the, the challenging and in infrastructure. And then going back to go, okay, how do we start to eliminate some of the stuff that we actually don't really need? We don't need to put the apples in the plastic, for example. Someone is probably a question in the, the chat there. Um, you know, and 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 that's where, you know, the EPAs are coming into play to say, okay, right, we're going to legislate what is and isn't um, you know, or shouldn't be there. Obviously, with food, that's a, a little bit more challenging because of uh, shelf life and um, uh, yeah, um, keep uh, keeping things safe and you know for for consumers. So a little bit more complex. Um, but you know, just thinking across a, a business or a community organization, understanding what materials are coming in and understanding what materials are coming out, and auditing. You know, that is a very first step. I think that's that's just that awareness. And then I think very quickly you can start to go, okay, well. I don't really need to wrap that in plastic, those flowers in plastic. They, I could get um, maybe some paper um, or, or does it need to be, you know, anything at all? Uh, is, that, is that really what my customers want? Um, and just by starting to have those conversations, we, we have in the guide included the, the 10 R's um, of circular economy. And Lisa talked a little bit about that, where that refuses kind of at the top. And that, you know, recycle and that really is at the, the bottom. And there's a bunch of steps you can really take in between, um, you know, all of your materials, whether it's, as I said, as an operation or it's something that you're putting out to, to market. I think the other thing is um, talking to your suppliers about uh, what, what could be changed. Um, and I can go into that a little bit later, a bit more, but also understanding what the local ecosystem is to support that again. So, um, for example, you know, we know, Soft plastics have been uh, one of the things that are making the, the most headlines in the last couple of years. They can be recycled. Uh, you know, that's a fact. There are recyclers in Australia that are recycling soft plastics. Um, They're at capacity and we don't have enough and we're using too much. Uh, and so those are some of the challenges around the system and the infrastructure. And I guess with, with those two things in mind, systems and infrastructure, if you're a business and if you're a community you know, organisation or in your, in your own government, you are part of the system you are part of the infrastructure. So don't think about it as it's a thing over there that needs to be solved before you can participate it. You are a part of that system. And so you are a part of that solution. Thanks, Bronwyn. I'm gonna ask you about um, the value of collaboration after this next question. I just wanted to touch on some of the community initiatives and broader initiatives that are going on out there. You've uh, obviously been uh, involved in the Great Plastic Rescue. Uh, perhaps some just briefly explain to listeners about that, what that achieved and then some of the other things you've seen that um, have been going on and how can business get involved with these um, with these initiatives? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the Great Plastic Rescue was really, I founded that um, just identifying that, that need that, okay, there's organisations with excess stock that, you know, if they can't use it, they're, and they can't say shift it to another state that hasn't got a ban yet or, you know, whatever sort of was going on at the time. Um, 
that the only real option for them is to put it, you know, put it in a red bin, which is less than ideal. Try and put it in a yellow bin. That's not really going to like probably work for most organizations and also doesn't really, our system doesn't really, isn't really set up for that to keep that, um, say that poly, those polypropylene forks, um, they would probably just be downcycled if they were actually accepted at the materials recycling facility because they're a little bit of an obscure type um, product. And if you, you know, if they're in a box, like it's a little bit, you know, it's complex, it's complex what can go into these, um, the facilities. So what we really did was give, you know, provide an offering in partnership with New South Wales EPA to say, send us your surplus stock. We'll sort it all out because of course, as you know, when it comes to plastics, it's complex. There's lots of different types, different materials um, are used for different products. Some forks are polypropylene, others are um, low density or high density um, LDP. So we did that kind of that work of investigating what the, the, the plastic type was, and then we aggregated it and the person said, okay, now we've got five tons of polypropylene. Are you happy to take it? And it was unboxed, depackaged, you know, and we sort of made it super, super easy for the recycling partners to then keep it at its highest value and we worked with organizations that we knew would be putting it into a product that, you know, essentially would be, you know, double, triple or 10 times the value of what a plastic fork, say, would have been um, as, a, as a plastic product, um, just in, in line with the kind of the circular economy ethos and the principles. So it's it's not simple necessarily. Logistics are tra challenging, you know, transport's costly, um, finding, you know, uh, recyclers with capacity, you know, and that can take, you know, type you know certain types of plastic at any given time um I'm, you know i'm not going to pretend that it's super easy but i think you know it really demonstrated that there can you can solve these problems if you work with your local ecosystems we had local councils collecting a bunch of stock from their um their, their local businesses putting it on a pallet sending it to our warehouse where we sort of sorted it and aggregated it um the team from new south wales epa were in there also learning about all the the myriad of challenges and had the, I had them sorting all the, the the stock with me. Um, so yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, it was really just you know my passion for keeping resources in the economy at their highest value. We've already extracted the the materials to produce those plastics, so let's you know get them into a product that's now a you know a twenty dollar um, construction product that has a fifty to hundred year kind of lifespan. Um, so that's what we did. Um, and, you know, I, I also sort of would talk about great plastic risk as really just being a little bit of an entree um, or, a, or even a canopy to circular economy for businesses just to sort of dip their toes in the water and understand, like, what could be, um, you know, put a bit of a, get a bit of a like, oh, okay, we could do that if we, if we figure it out rather than this kind of, oh, it's too hard, it, it, you know, can't be done, there's not enough, you know, volume or capacity, et cetera. There is, uh, there are challenges. But if you start to work, as I said, with with your local ecosystem, um, you can really do some great stuff. And there's some good examples of that. So um, a couple that I can sort of made a bit of a list here. Um, but uh, there's a, uh, I think it's called Reground. And I think it's also, there's one called Happy Hens, where that's about like local coffee um, grounds being collected and they, you know, find a home for those coffee grounds. So it's part like you're part of a community. It's not plastic, but just looking at other sort of waste materials and waste streams where what's important to that business, what sort of waste stream do they want to eliminate? How do they collaborate? Um, there's um, obviously, um, I've got battery recycling down here. I just wanted to like highlight that lead battery recycling is like, I think it's up, Lisa probably knows the, the, the correct, but it's up 90 something percent. Um, it's one of the highest um, volumes of batteries that we recycle in Australia. And if we can get that right, then, you know, I mean, I guess that just demonstrates that there's the legislation, there's the collection, there's the, uh, you know, the system and the infrastructure to to support that. Um, uh, Organisations like Soconomy, um, I think, are really great examples where they also saw a, an issue in the problem with, uh, sorry, an issue in the market with um, unused sort of or um, you know, furniture that was, say, returned or damaged stock that was essentially just going to be in by the container load, potentially be going to landfill. Um, and they built a model around repair, reuse, refurbishment. Uh, and now they're working at a national scale. And that was a, an organisation that started out of Brisbane. But um, And then they also embedding other sort of social enterprise uh, principles within their, uh, their organisation, working with disadvantaged um, members of the community to support their you know, workforce development. So those are just a 
few. I, I have several others. Um, I think I mentioned before around appliances. Winning Group is a great one. You know, if you buy a new fridge or a new washing machine, they take all the packaging back. They take the old washing machine or fridge back and they ensure that both the packaging and the product is, you know, turned to scrap at whatever type of material it is and, you know, resold and reprocessed. Um, there's obviously a lot of improvements that can be made. What we'd love to see is that then being turned into a new product that can be sold, say, in the Australian, manufactured and sold in the Australian market. But, you know, th these are just examples of, I guess, people that have started that journey um, and doing some some great things. Lisa mentioned about clothes before. Um, there's a, a new startup in Australia called Renter. The foundation client is Origin, and you can essentially rent a new runway, you know, piece from Origin instead of having to buy it. So, you know, I'm I get super excited, and I, I you'll see my excitement because I, I see all these new opportunities, and not only are they addressing the the circular economy principles by elimination, reuse, you know, those 10 R's. Um, but they're also creating new economic models and new economic opportunities. Uh, and I think that's really, you know, those those two things have to go hand in hand. I think a circular economy, I think, is most importantly, is not circular economy for circular economy's sake. It is about, you know, addressing the resource um, use that we're, we need to sort of slow down in terms of natural resource consumption uh, and maximise the, the, the use of resources already in our economy uh, and reduce emissions. It, ha it has to be linked to those outcomes, but it also has to be linked to that development and, you know, economic opportunity piece too. Yeah, thanks, Bronwyn. It, it, we do have a lot of passion projects, but it's interesting. Those, passion, those passionate people, those passion projects are turning into tangible outcomes for the community. So we're moving from that phase it's, it, into more things that are being implemented through Luke's work, through all the people on this on this panel as well. So I appreciate that. And I was going to ask you about collaboration, but you, you, I think you've covered it pretty well uh, already. But um, I know we've talked about this um, idea of um, collaborative value chains uh, to drive change. What's, what's really the premise behind that? What 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 is working together really achieving here? Is it because of the complexity? Is it because of the challenges we must overcome? What do you think it is, Bronwyn? I mean, I think the number one thing holding us back from from achieving circularity or this transition or shift is is people. I mean, it's behavioral change. It's it's the person in the organization, the leader of the organization, the the, whether it's the, the, the politician or the policymaker, whoever it might be, you know, it's making a shift and a change. And for that, we have to really have a collaborative mindset because we cannot, like no one organisation can solve the whole issue alone. For example, you know, I talked about Winning Group before. They need a local ecosystem to support that. They need to have, you know, conversations within their supply chain around how they do reverse logistics and, you know, how they minimise the packaging that's coming in and, you know, where it goes at the end of life. Um, and I'm not pretending I know their, their circular business model inside and out. They do have a sustainability report, so you can check that out. Um, but but rather just, you know, it's – it's and, and and also I think the other thing is permission to fail or, or, or rather to learn, I should say, because no one organisation is going to get this right at the outset. It is complex, but that should not – I guess, stop us from trying. And when you collaborate, there's a shared risk, there's a shared responsibility, um, there's a shared cost, uh, and ultimately there should be a shared reward. Um, I know, you know, organisations like, um, you know, Visi, who are big in the packaging space, for example, there's um, Closed Loop, you know, they're working with their clients to think about how to change you know their their whole kind of offering, whether it's in packaging or you know you know the way the products are developed or made, the manufacturers are doing the same. Um, it, it comes down to design at the very sort of first phase. So thinking about circular design principles, um, I'm actually got a very exciting project with the, some of the stuff that we collected from Great Plastic Rescue. I've got um, uh, 22 pallets of plastic bags that I worked with Adairs to do a a uh, an amnesty, should we say, of like all of their stores. We asked all their stores to send back the bags, even if they weren't banned. Um, we collected them and uh, been talking to my recycler this week. They're going to start running some tests to see what sort of um, pellet kind of colours we can get out. And then we're going to do a full circular product design, onshore manufacturing, and, you know, understand what the challenges and the issues are, um, but also 
what the opportunities are. You know, how do we how do we develop a, a product that has a high value, that has a long life, and that can be fully you know recycled or you know reused or repaired, etc. You know, at, at its end of life following the the the, the R's. So I can't do that without you know, thinking about that whole value chain. And so existing organizations, you know, need to be talking to their to their their suppliers and their and and whoever sort of is, I guess in their network and their local ecosystem. Um and and think about I guess the the opportunities, you know, there might be say for example, um, you know, a, a, re, a recycler of another material that um has a, a backload that's empty or, you know, I, I think it's about being creative. Um thinking outside the square about how to create that value across the value chain in the ecosystem. Um, and as I said, I'll just go back to what I said in the beginning, like we cannot solve like any of these issues, just one like personal organization. It has to be done together. Um, that goes for saying as well, I guess, with the policy making space, there were some questions about that. Um, national consistent policy is, you know, going to be needed for, I guess, commercial um, confidence uh, for investment in infrastructure and capacity. Um, but then also, you know, we also need place-based solutions because what's happening in Darwin, for example, is going to be completely different to what's happening in Sydney. So uh, these are the challenges that we have to face um, and that's why we have to do them together. Right. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. That's, uh, it's incredible to hear some of what's going on, but also for everyone to understand, you now have to start talking about supply chain up and downstream to understand how to um, uh, tackle these problems. Uh, I've been remiss as a moderator and gone a little bit over time, so I do apologise to to everyone, but it's um, it's, it's so great to hear uh, about their initiatives, about um, their perspectives on this topic. Uh, look, a special thanks also to our four, four panellists today, uh, Luke, Bronwyn, Lisa and Mitchell. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, your sharing of your knowledge around this topic. It's been wonderful to have you on the panel today. Mm -hmm.